physics world. The world is a sighted person's world. <gasps> okay, do that again, please. This is how Akil Sajjad does physics, by ear. Though, of course, this is way easier than the actual equations he works with. In fact, this one is a very simple equation we all know from high school. So, uh, this is, uh, so I've got a fraction on the computer here. So the cursor is going to go from left to right. I'm going to be pressing right arrow one character at a time. Just like you might be going through a word at a time. Like, But, but here I'm going through this equation uh, in the software that I've been using. So it says... Fraction. Did you get what it said? Fraction. Fraction, yeah. So it means the fraction is starting. Now I'm going to go to the next, um, like right arrow further. A. Plus. Now it says plus. Two. Now it says denominator. So a plus two was the numerator. Now it says denominator. So now what's going to follow is going to be the denominator. B. Said B. And fraction. And fraction. Oh. So in the next line, can you tell me what that is? How can you play from the very beginning and then right when? Okay. And you can retain that all in your hand. Uh, well, depends. I mean, uh, uh, if I'm reading something from scratch and I'm not familiar with them, it's totally new material, then it takes longer. If it's more familiar material, then it, then it goes quicker. I mean, this one I can read. I, I just went character by character, but I can read it like... So, so what's this what's this last uh, expression that I, what's this equation actually can you tell uh so it's oh yeah that's uh, the solution for the uh a squared uh polynomial exactly yeah that's the quadratic uh, solution quadratic exactly quadratic formula solution yeah Akil Sajjad recently finished his postdoc at Harvard University, where he does particle physics research. But unlike most particle physicists, he does physics by ear. Akil, who will be celebrating his 37th birthday this month, lost his sight to retina detachments in both eyes when he was a teenager growing up in Islamabad. And the way he accesses the complicated math of the science he does is with speech-to-text software. In his free time, he does consulting work on making science accessible to people with disabilities. The world is a sighted person's world. Everything is designed, like you go to the market and you buy, let's say, a cell phone. All the apps are designed based on the idea that the user will actually see the see what's on the screen. Uh, you buy a TV, you, you, you know, you're, you're controlling the... Uh, like you have a cable TV, uh, you're changing the settings on your TV, smart TV, for instance. How do you do it? Well, it's based on the idea that you're looking at the whatever's on the screen and you can read it. Every every little act, every single activity in our life is designed on that premise. Uh, so the problem for the the first and foremost problem is that because everybody does things in a certain way, and you cannot do. Do the do things in that particular way means that you're you're sort of marginalized automatically. Uh, it's not that inherently you can't do science, but because everybody does it in a particular way, um, 
you know, you look at a book, the book is written so that you can see it and read it. That's how the, the book, you know, books are usually written. The material that's on the blackboard is written so that students in the class can see it. So th that that's essentially the, the, the issue, the biggest issue, I'd say. And how is it doing uh, physics in particular and not being able to, to see the equations? So I need something that substitutes for sight. Uh, and there are two ways in which you can do it if you're blind. You can either touch something, which is how Braille works. You touch, uh, you, you get a tactile display uh, or, or print. Uh, the other alternative is to get some speech. And because we're in the, in the age of computers, we have text-to-speech software so that, that reads out whatever's on the screen in audio. Um, some people prefer speech, some people prefer Braille, uh, uh, and different people have different styles. Some people prefer a combination. I'm at the speech end of this extreme like spectrum speech, and I kind of hate Braille. <laughs> um, but there are people who absolutely love Braille, and they don't feel that comfortable with speech. I'm at the speech extreme of this. And so, but I guess this uh, technology from uh, speech, text-to-speech, wasn't available always. I, I mean, how, and even yeah, now. Yeah, I didn't start off with that. My uh, good fortune was that my mother had a master's degree in math, and she used to, like, read and, you know, read stuff out to me. And so I spent a lot of time with her initially after losing my eyesight. There was a time when she used to do all my, like, read books to me and help me do my homework and assignments. Um, uh, I, I initially, in fact, did, did a business degree. Uh, when I lost my eyesight, I was, I was in six, uh, 11th grade uh, in Pakistan, and they, uh, I was studying science subjects, but then when I lost my eyesight, they told me that I couldn't continue in science subjects, so they didn't let me do it. In the, uh, and so I switched to other subjects like humanities and then uh, later, I did a business degree. So in that time, I was working, uh, I, I was heavily dependent on others, like my mother would be my scribe and reader. Uh, and during the business degree, I got this speech technology, which used to handle regular speech, regular text, but didn't use to handle equations really well. Uh, so it became a bit of a transition. Then I found um, I, w I was looking for opportunities to dis study science because that's what I really wanted to do. And I was applying, so I thought I'm going to, uh, I, I mean, I was looking for opportunities abroad I, because I was in Pakistan at that time. So I was going to, I was looking at U.S. and also other uh, developed countries. Um, then I found that at Oregon State University, there was a professor, physics professor, who'd become blind and was now working on various tools to make math and science accessible to people with disabilities. Um, so that's where I ended up going for my undergrad degree in physics. So I, after my business degree, I finished my business degree just to hedge myself um, in case things didn't work out. And, I, and I, so I finished that degree and then I went into physics for a second bachelor's degree uh, at Oregon State University where that professor was working on some tools. So he introduced me to some of his uh, tools that he was working on, which um, in, included both Braille and, and speech-related tools, but I, uh, the, the ones I really have mostly, like, I got ex really excited about were the speech uh, ones, of course. 
So when you say that they wouldn't let you study sciences, uh, what what do you mean? Were, was it the professors that they wouldn't allow you? No, it was the the for, the I mean the education system formally sort of did not allow um, you to study sciences on the on the grounds they, that that you can't. They said that you can't do lab work, so you can't be a scientist. Mm -hmm. uh, they obviously hadn't heard of theoretical. Uh, disciplines and they obviously hadn't heard of other like ways in which you can still do experimental work indirectly. And how how did you feel wanting to do that and having to wait and not even knowing if you were yeah, going to be able to? It was, it was pretty hard. Um, I've pushed some of that to the really like you know there are some painful memories that you kind of bury, <laughs> get buried deep inside. But it was it was really painful. I mean losing my eyesight and on top of it not being able to study science that that made it extra bad it was tough do you think this can be a, a deterrent for people that want to be scientists in the rest of the world yeah in fact i mean i i would say that there are even deterrents even here in the u.s where things are a lot better there's still a long way to go before uh, like these fields are totally open to people with disabilities many i mean many people don't end up venturing into sciences and get discouraged in various ways so even here there's a long way to go but in developing countries things are a lot worse according to the world health organization by 2014 there were 285 million people estimated to be visually impaired worldwide of which 39 million are blind and about 90 percent of the world's visually impaired live in low-income settings when you came here uh, to Oregon, how was it? Did you join a, a regular class in? Yeah, I attended regular classes. Um, although, again, because of what's on the blackboard not being accessible, the, the, they would provide some. Some they would kind of get some student in class to take notes and provide me the notes. So they would hire somebody to do that. Um, and again, since everything is done based on site, then then to make things accessible, you have to like. To make it accessible for somebody who has a disability, you have to find a way to substitute. So instead of, like, I can't read a, d a book directly, but I can read it if, if I have a scanned book, uh, scanned and transcribed, in which the equations are provided to me in a format that I can read through speech software. Or, or some somebody else who prefers Braille, mm -hmm. if they can get in a format that allows them to access it in Braille, um, and thanks to computers, a lot of it is, I mean, there's a lot more that can be done today than uh, you know, in the past. How much determination do you need? Because you, you have a, even a, how many degrees do you have? Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I have physics degrees and then there's that business degree, so I don't have <laughs> that many extra degrees, but... Uh, I but mean, you it does take you. You yeah. I mean, I, I do have a doctorate degree in physics. And a postdoc. Uh, yeah, <laughs> which is not exactly a degree, <laughs> but it's a it's some research. it's an experience research. Um, it does take extra motivation. Um, it does get frustrating at times. Um, uh, so you do have to have that extra. You do have to have that extra motivation. In some cases. Um, in some cases, little subtle ways in which you kind of are at a disadvantage, like 
you know, you attend a seminar, everybody else can see what's on the blackboard or what's on the PowerPoint projection, but you can't see it. And the speaker is not necessarily going to read out everything they put on the board or PowerPoint. So there are little details you get left out of. Um, there, there are ways in which the playing field, um, you know, can be tricky. Uh, but then you have to find ways to get around it and substitute it. So it does take more sort of perseverance um, <clears throat> but it can be done because I'm myself blind I've uh, been working as a physicist so I'm trying to share uh, my knowledge and experience to make it like to, so that other people so I'm doing some consulting work with the, this um, there's an institution in Boston uh, in greater Boston it's called Perkins School for the Blind uh, this is the place where Helen Keller went to school. So it's a pretty famous place in the, in the disability field. Perkins was the first school for the blind in the United States, established in 1829. And Helen Keller was the first person with deaf blindness who earned a Bachelor's of Arts degree in 1904. Not only did she advocate for rights for the deaf and blind, but also for other movements, like women's rights to vote. And they recently, a year or two ago, uh, started a consulting uh, pr uh, sort of uh, project also like they've started doing consulting work for other people and I'm uh, working with them on, on uh, STEM accessibility. What does a teacher uh, teaching STEM for example need to have in mind when they're uh, trying to make it accessible for everybody their, their yeah, knowledge? So it I mean it depends if you if uh, depend uh, like when I was an undergrad student for instance there was one um, uh, there were, there were some teachers uh, one or two teachers who really did an extraordinary job of describing everything that would that that they when they were lecturing I could follow every single thing uh, because I mean if you're if you're writing stuff on the board but you also say it loudly like verbally mm -hmm. if you're drawing if you if you're showing a diagram you also kind of s say some words to describe the diagram verbally um, and that thing actually, the, 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 well, the, 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 the good thing and the interesting thing is that that kind of extra description actually helps everyone. So it's not just useful for the blind person on, um, sitting in the class because multi-sensory multi input, sensory input helps everyone. Um, there's research, it's, it's, it's a well-known fact that, for instance, people who, have, uh, who are dyslexic, uh, they sometimes benefit by listening to something simultaneously. Like, so they might have the, they might have a book in front of them, and they might also be listening to the book, to the book being read out to them in audio, mm -hmm. simultaneously. So two inputs, um, <clears throat> or they might be looking at a graph and listening to an audio kind of tone for the graph, like kind of you know some some mm -hmm. kind of the audio like that goes uh, that the pitch goes up and down depending on the, whether the curve and the graph is going up or down or you know so um uh, likewise i mean when you when you describe something verbally as well as show it you're actually communicating you're giving people two different uh, sort of stimuli uh, instead of one so it helps everybody's learning experience uh, it makes you a better teacher overall if if you do that um, but for the person who has a disability, it's not just a question of better experience, but it makes it makes a difference between access and not having access. You, you also played baseball, right? Uh, yeah, it's a version of baseball for blind people. There's a beeping ball, 
it's baseball, but it's a sort of very changed version of baseball. You change the rules to some extent to make it accessible. Um, and so, for instance, one thing you do it they do is kind of that like the the pitcher in in baseball as as in baseball, uh, like the 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 pitcher and ca- uh, batter are actually on the same team, and the pitcher tries to put it in the same spot, and the ba- batter tries to swing exactly in the same position with the same timing mm-hmm. so it's about consistency and you have to work very hard to get your mechanics consistent so it's it's a consistency test whereas in real baseball the pitcher is trying to prevent you from hitting mm-hmm. uh, and this is also the concept in cricket for people who are into cricket and originally being from Pakistan I cricket was my craze not baseball but mm-hmm. since in the U- I'm in the US baseball it is there's not a lot of cricket here. I not a lot of cricket here, but nothing like cricket. I mean, baseball, with due respect to baseball, baseball is n- like, I mean, I think cricket is a much more sophisticated, much like, I mean, I'm I'm genuinely, genuinely fond of cricket. Baseball is also a good game, but nothing like cricket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in baseball, in the U.S., there is this tournament called the World Series, uh, although pretty much all teams are American teams, but they still mm-hmm. call it the World Series. So we have something, we have a World Series for this blind baseball also, um, in which they're usually like um, 17, 18, or 20-odd teams. I think last year there might have been a little more than 20. Uh, and sometimes it turns out they also have a league for this in Taiwan, and there's usually one or two teams from Taiwan also, so... It isn't just U.S., so maybe based on that Taiwan team, we can say that, yeah, it's an international tournament, it's yeah. the World Series, but it isn't. <laughs> but it's a, So we travel uh, to other cities to play tournaments, and then sometimes other teams come to Boston also. Uh, and it's a pretty good, I mean, it's it's a pretty f- very fun activity. Where our team is called the Boston Renegades, if somebody wants to look it up online. And uh, And so how is the Boston team? Does it get to the finals, like... Um, historically, I mean, the team uh, started like in, in the early 2000s. I started playing in 2010. Um, so the team has been rising, improving, getting better and better. There was a time when they used to lose to everyone. Uh, last year, uh, well, this last summer, I wasn't playing, but we had our best ever finish uh, and we were in the second position, so finalist. The previous year, too, we had our best finish, like sixth uh, or was it the fifth p- position, something like that. And the pre- the year before that, too. So we've been rising and rising. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of it, again, has to do with the fact that we've got like very like coaches who are really dedicated. So they keep coming up with new strategies and they work. They make us work pretty hard, too. Mm-hmm. So, so just to describe the idea of the game, mm-hmm. the the pitcher and catcher are uh, better on on the same team uh the pitcher swings in the same spot and they kind of say something when they're pitching so they kind of say like set ready pitch and you pick some spot in the world when pitch is being said or something like you pick you have to pick a timing and swing exactly at the same time um and then the ball is beeping uh so when the ball goes out in the field the players in the field uh, have to stop based on it beeping, like have to listen to it, and and that's how they stop it. But then there also there's also one or two people, two people on the field, uh, sighted people, mm-hmm. to help them. So this, those people are called spotters. They are allowed to say a number, uh, just one number once, 
you can't say it twice. If they say it twice, then it's a foul and the other team automatically gets a run. What would you tell other kids back at home if they're told to just give up and study something else? Uh, the answer I would have is, um, is that it can be done. So if somebody tells you that it can't be done, they're wrong. Um, it can be done, but it, it does require extra persistence and patience and hard work and it can be you you can have it can be very frustrating at times also so if you're willing to deal with that with that extra sort of you know frustration and pressure and like you know if you're if you're willing to be that extra pers if you're willing to be extra persistent and you have to you have to sometimes work harder than your peers if you're willing to do all that then it can be done um uh what so if somebody tells you that it can't be done they're wrong um but whether like whether you're willing to put up with that with with those extra like frustration frustrating moments and whether you're willing to be that as persistent as it as as you need to be That is something for the individual to figure out and decide for themselves. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Lucina Melesio, reporting from Cambridge, Massachusetts, for Physics World. Physics World.